going to seem a little weird up here. Now I can hear myself. I was like, wait, I don't have monitors. So, um, Well, I'd like to start out. It's December, so Merry Christmas. We can say that for the next few weeks. Now, on Christmas Day, December 25th, we don't have service on Christmas Day. Um, so if you are looking for that, make sure to be here every other Sunday this month and Wednesdays also. I'd like to turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, start at verse 18. Bishop has traveled out of town, so he's out in western Nebraska, so we will miss him, but pray for him. God's using him in a great way in the district for looking at North America missions, so pray God's anointing on him. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make a public example, of, example was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not, to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to us today. God, move in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, help us to draw closer to you and be committed. God, to be firm in our walk, to, to not give up, to not turn to the side, but God, to refocus our lives in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So it is that time of year. We're kicking off with the Christmas play. And uh, well, I've spent the last several weeks in Puerto Rico, not to rub that in for anyone who doesn't like the cold. I kind of like the cold. But down there, it doesn't quite feel like Christmas to me. Uh, looking over at all these green leaves and palm trees, and it just doesn't quite have that feel. But when I get back into the cold weather and I see the trees up, and, and even down there when I see the, the Christmas lights and the decorations, it, it starts to feel just a little bit more like Christmas, and that's what I want to talk today about, but it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Um, we get through Thanksgiving. For me, that's a big marker. Uh, for my wife, um, well, she's not in here, so I can doubly pick on her, right? But uh, she, put, she was dragging the trees out before I left. She's like, I got to have those trees out. I got to have those trees. And I do say trees. Now, I'm not saying we have big trees everywhere, but, you know, after the Christmas season's over, there's a couple times in there where I went to Walmart. I'm like, all right, any discount trees? Because I know she's like, we got rooms in this house. I can put one in the office. We can put one downstairs. And uh, so she really likes the trees. And so we have Christmas at the Kirkpatrick house. But... When I, I get through the busyness of life and I'm rushing and I'm moving and I start to see things in the stores, frankly, when we get past uh, Halloween and I walk into Walmart, I'm like, what are they doing to me? There's Christmas everywhere. And I'm like, I don't look at it as a great festive time in that moment. I look at it as they're trying to suck the money out of my pocketbook. And they are, right? 
Um, next thing you know, you're gonna see Valentine's up. <laughs> well, they'll have some New Year's just for a brief moment, and then it'll be Valentine's. And, and, but that feel is in the air, and it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. It brings back memories. It makes you think of those as a kid when you would wake up and, and you'd be excited and you'd wonder, okay, what's going to be for a present this year? What am I going to get? And do I dare hope? And, and the smell of, uh, of cookies baking or getting together with family. And, and there's a lot that I really enjoy about the season. But when I flip back into the Bible and into the Matthew, Mark, Luke, well, not Mark, he doesn't really talk about Christmas, but Matthew and and Luke, and, and I look at that time period, things were just a little bit different. Now, they did have Hanukkah. They did have that celebration because things had gone on 150 years prior where, where uh, Israel here, the Jewish people, we had seen that, well, for many years before, they had been taken captive by the Assyrians and then the Medes and the Persians. And, and then we had the Greeks roll through and they were going to rule the world. And there was a guy named Antiochus. I was going to try to say his last name, but now it's not coming to my, my tongue so easy. So we'll just let it go with Antiochus. And, and Antiochus had come into the temple, and he thought, you know, I'm going to take, make things right here, and I'm going to take over. And, and he declared that he should be worshipped, that he was a manifestation of Zeus. And, and he took a pig, and he built, put an altar on top of the altar, and, and he sacrificed a pig. And, and it was outrageous, and it was an abomination of desecration that occurred at that moment. And, and, and there was a war that was made, and, and there was fighting that went on. And, and eventually the Jewish people pushed back, and and so that's where you get Hanukkah because they found some oil that was still pure and it burned, it should only have lasted a day, but it burned for eight days. And so they had that whole celebration with the Maccabees and Judah Maccabees. So I don't know if this is new for anybody today, but a little history there for you. And, and so this is what Israel had come out of. It's kind of interesting when you think about that because Jesus comes on the scene and he is God robed in flesh. But people took a look and they would have had a little bit of a pushback to say, hey, now here's somebody else that's coming into our midst. And we've had some history around here of, quote, different messiahs. At the same time, they were, were wondering and they were hoping and they were looking. But the world of Christmas at the time that Jesus came was one that was also very political. You might think of Israel as being all this unified people of Jewish people, but in the north we have where Jesus walked so much Galilee, and, and that area was much more liberal in nature. They were tied more into to the, uh, the foreigners, and, and, and so they, they had adopted ideas from other cultures, and you get down there by, by Jerusalem, and those were more conservative people, and we're going to hold true to what we need to do, and, and there's pushback and infighting. Does this sound a little bit like maybe it's also beginning to look a lot like Christmas? People down south would have been pointing up at the people at the north. And, and when you realize this, then when you get to the crucifixion and all the people from Galilee march down to Jerusalem and they come down, they're like, look, we have the Savior. And all the people in Jerusalem are like, who are you people from Galilee? We better doubly oppose that man. It's all that infighting. Those unlearned, ignorant men from up north, those fishermen. Happened to be that Jerusalem's in a more mountainous region. So down there, you don't quite have the products like the fishing and the farming that you do up north. So they had a little more money up north. You come down south. Can you see it? Maybe Israel wasn't such a 
nice place as a whole, and they were just fighting against the rest of the world, but we have infighting amongst themselves. And, and so we have this, this place where there's a, an idea that let's revolt against the Roman Empire who overthrew the Greeks, and, and, and let's try to get our temple where it needs to be. And what about these people up north, and what's this fighting? And there's corruption, and there's politics, and there's revolution, and, and it's a big mess. There's a lot of little racism going on. A lot of infighting. And that, I thought, is beginning to look a lot like Christmas. When I look around our society and I see all of our fighting and our pushing back and forth. And so it is in the midst of all of this that Jesus walks in on the scene. And we begin to see prophetic words come forth. Like in the play, they'll reference this today, but Isaiah chapter 9. It tells us in verse 2, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of shadow, upon them hath the light shined. Verse 1 said, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be as such as was in her vexation. The dimness shall not be as such as it was in her vexation. What do we hear in this prophetic word? It's saying, hey, there's going to be a struggle. There's going to be a time. It's going to be tough. But it's not going to be quite as bad as it was before. Why? Because in the middle of all of this, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus begins His ministry up in Galilee, this Scripture is brought back out by Matthew. Why? He's saying, hey, the people have seen a great light. When Jesus came and when the shepherds in the, the book of Luke, when the angels announced to the shepherds good news of great joy, it, it, it may have been dark out there. They may have been ruled by a Roman empire and, and the Israelites, the Jewish people, they, they wanted to fight against that. It may have been chaos in the land, but it wasn't as dark as before because God said, you know what? It's time for me to do something about the chaos. It's time for me to do something about the struggle. You know, church, the world needs you today. Brother Con and I were talking a little bit about this last night, and we were talking about light and, and hiding it under a bushel and, and what does it mean to be light. And I also mentioned to him that the temple in Jerusalem was viewed where the spiritual connected to the earthly or the physical. It's like where heaven and earth, you might say, kissed together or came together in that moment and, and, and the two realms in the Jewish thought would have met. When God robed Himself in flesh, He brought heaven to earth. He brought the spiritual into the physical. He took your pain on Himself. He had, was bruised for your transgressions. By His stripes were healed. He was beaten for you. He brought heaven to earth. But another exciting thing is, is when God filled you with His Spirit, you in your fleshly state, in your earthly state, you're filled with the Spirit of God. In every room you walk into, in every place you go, you're bringing heaven into earth. You're bringing Jesus into the midst of a situation. 
Oh, you're, you're that light, Brother Khan, that walks into your job. And, and so you got to begin to wonder, why do people look at you? And they begin to seek you for answers and, and, and wonder, how do I get through a struggle? Keep it in mind when you're flipping through the TV or, or you're sharing some jokes or the, the things that you look at when you read. What, what are you doing to this temple that is connecting God into this world? What are you doing with it? Because people are looking for you to be a light. I say those words and I say them with conviction because they pierce my heart sometimes. Sometimes it's just an accident. You stumble into something and you're like, man, that situation left me dirty. Oh, that didn't feel good, God. I need to be cleaned. Sometimes we make choices. And then we look back and we say, man, why did I do this? Why did I do it? The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Upon them hath the light shined. And why is that? Because verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Isn't it exciting? Ah! Can you imagine if you were some of the people at that time and, and you, you knew this was coming and, and then you're like Ananias and you heard about it? Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor. And then you get there. The mighty God. Wait. This isn't just another child. This isn't just another person. This isn't somebody else just sent in my life to help me out. But it's the mighty God. The everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. So we opened up in Matthew chapter 1 and we read about the prophetic word of, uh, um, not about the prophetic word, but the prophetic being performed and, and how it would be Emmanuel, God with us. There's a verse here, verse 22, and I'm going to bring it back to light at the end of this, but it says, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled that it might be fulfilled. When I read that, when I thought on the book of Matthew, and Matthew highlights fulfillment throughout the book, this phrase, that might be fulfilled, is said I think at least five times, and, but fulfillment was fulfilled here, and it was fulfilled there, all through the book of Matthew. It's more than just a prophecy, Jeremy. Matthew, and God inspired him, and he was writing this book and putting it together, and this inspired Word of God, this Holy Scripture. When he was putting that down, he was saying to us, hey, the Word was saying, you know what? Previously, there was another child born, and his name was Emmanuel back in the time of Isaiah. And they looked for a hope, and they looked for, for salvation, but it wasn't quite what they needed. It didn't do everything to deliver Israel. Oh, but God said there's a problem and there's a situation and only God can fix it. Only God can truly bring that word to pass. And so there needed to be a child born. There needed to be a woman that had never known a man who was going to have this child. Why? So that it could be fulfilled. Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, there's many promises and words that's come to been brought into your life. 
and you've wondered where it's at. But at some point, God steps on the scene. And you know what He says, Sister Brittany? He walks in because it's time. And He does a work in your life. Why? That it might be fulfilled. Oh, that it might happen. That it could come to pass. Hallelujah. Can somebody give Him a hand clap? Oh, it's not just a prophetic word given by a preacher over the pulpit. But it's God saying, you know what? It's time for me to fulfill a word. It's time for me to do a work. I know you've had promises. I know you've had dreams. I know you have had hope. But when God says, I'm taking it personally into my hands, fulfillment happens. And Matthew wanted us to see exactly all the things that God would bring about. We flip over to Matthew chapter 2 and we see the, the magi or the, the kings, right? And we often refer to them as the three kings and we don't really know how many. But we see these, these, um, these wise guys that come. These wise men. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. They also could be thought of as like astrologers. People from the maybe Mesopotamia region. It's interesting because Balaam, Balaam would have been classified as a person like this. I thought of Hezekiah and when Hezekiah, when the sun, and, um, when, when time was made to roll backwards and people came to visit him and he didn't give glory to God. Instead, he brought him in to show him all the house. And some of you might, might know that story, but Hezekiah was near death. He was a king of Israel, of Judah. And, and when God, he prayed and said, God, you know, I'm, I know I'm going to die, but please, would you just let me live? And would you give a sign? And, and God did a work there, and God moved, and there was this sign, and people came to find out what's going on. Wise men, uh, ambassadors, they wanted to see. And instead, he was moved by being honored by the people instead of honoring God. And he showed him the house, and the kingdom was eventually taken away. But we fast forward in time. And instead of having Balaam, who begrudgingly, you know, said, hey, I got to speak, speak whatever God gives me over Israel, even though the, the Balak wanted him to speak a terrible word against the Israelites. He spoke a great word. And, and then we have the, the people that visited Hezekiah. But in both situations, these kings announcing the presence of, of greatness of God and His work, these situations didn't work out the way you would have thought. There was astrologers that pushed back against Daniel and, and, and wise men that, that wanted to do a work against what God was doing back in those times. But now we come in to a time where Jesus is fulfilling a work. And there's some wise people that show up on the scene. And when this story unfolds, we, we see that they walk in. And they're not going to be moved by the greatness of Herod the king. Oh, they don't necessarily know everything about the Word. But now we're going to have true fulfillment. It's not just Bathsheba coming in to visit Solomon and, and, and all that greatness, but that great king who fell to the, side, or to the side. But one wiser than Solomon shows up on the scene and royalty recognized it. 
You see, royalty was looking into the sky and they saw the times, they saw the seasons, they saw the star and they said, something is happening here. Something's going on. Something's being fulfilled. And they begin to look into it and they said, you know what? We've got we to go there. We've got to make a journey. Church of Omaha, there's a lot of people out there that maybe don't know this book the way you know it. They maybe haven't, don't understand every scripture out there, but they're hungry, they're digging, and they can look around society, and they can see the messed up world that we live in, and they can see the infighting and the pushback, and they know that we need a Savior. And they're looking, and they say, you know what, this can't go on. This is not sustainable. This can't last forever. We can't continue with this garbage. Look how it's tearing up our homes. Look how it's messing with our families. Look what kind of schools I have to put my children in. Look how people are torn apart by drugs and by addictions and the mess that we live in. Look at the, the, the wars and the rumors of wars. And they realize that something has to be happening. They see the dissatisfaction in their soul and they, they, they search for purpose. And out of that, they can recognize there must be, there has to be, there has got to be a God. And they're looking and they're searching. And so these wise men in Matthew chapter 2, they made a journey. Now contrary to what you see at the nativity scene, they were not at the nativity scene. That was shepherds and some animals. We don't know exactly when these guys showed up. We know that it says they found him in a house. We know they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We know that when they first came in, they went over and they went to see the current king because who should know where the baby's at if not the current king? And they traveled in and they found Herod. And they begin to ask, hey, we came for the king. Oh, I know I just said it a moment earlier, but they weren't turned aside by the greatness of Herod's court. You know, Herod had invested and he had built a great temple. He had said, we can make a place of worship here. We, we can do something great here. But they weren't turned aside by that man. Instead, they made their journey and they kept going. And when that star reappeared, they, they kept following it. And they went into a stable and they found Jesus. And they found Him in a place that, that was dirty and it had straw and, and His parents weren't dressed in any greatness. And, and if you would fast forward in time, this same baby ends up on a cross in a place of brokenness and darkness and filth and humility and, 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 and shame. They found that Jesus. And you can be turned aside by the greatness of royalty and by people who have great clothing and wealth and riches and honor and prestige. Or will you be willing to go to broken places to encounter a God who, who meets you in, in low points and, and who doesn't display His glory so you can see it in all its greatness right now? Will you be willing to go through struggle if that's where Jesus is at. And these wise men, they weren't turned aside like previous wise men. But they made up their mind to get to the stable. 
And so they made their journey in and, and they found the house when the stars shone over it. When they came into Herod and they began to talk to him and look, Herod was alarmed. He didn't want to let on it. He was a good politician. Kept his face straight. But he stepped out and he pulled in the existing religious leaders. He's, okay, let me, let me get to some people that know what they're talking about. Brother Khan, they're like, all right, well, you know the scripture. Let's, let's visit. What about this king? And those religious leaders were like, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. They knew the word. I think everyone sitting here today probably knows all about Christmas. You know about the birth of Jesus. You know about the story. You know about the angels. One form or another, maybe you haven't actually read Matthew and Luke and read it all in detail, but you know the story. And you're like, I love that story. These guys knew the story too. They knew it beforehand. But it's not about what you just know. It's about what you do with what you know. And that's why the wise men are so important, because they weren't biblical scholars as far as we can tell. We don't see anything that makes us think they knew this book inside and out. But they had an understanding that something's happening, and I'm going to go meet this Savior. That's why those, the disciples and the apostles, they were fishermen. But when Jesus beckoned them and called them, they didn't say, you know what, I'm, I'm unlearned and ignorant. That's what other people ended up calling them. They said, I've been called. Something rang into my life. And you know what, I didn't do something about everything that, that pulled on me the days before. But today, I, I, I have an encounter with a call about Jesus and I'm going to respond. These wise men responded. You don't have to have a complete understanding to answer the call. But if you're going to progress in God, you'll eventually move into His Word. Psalms chapter 19, we're not going to read through all of it. But it begins with the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. This psalm... Through the first eleven verse, or through the first uh, six verses, declares in nature that the glory of God is on display, and there's not an excuse. People out there that try to tell you, "I don't see God," and why do you believe in God? It's declared in everything around you, every bit of design, every bit of structure, every bit of purpose. You in yourself, when you just look at yourself, you know that you were created, you were designed, and none of you here today is here by accident. Nobody that you're going to encounter is here by accident. Some of you were born into situations and, and you might, have th might think that you were an accident. You might have been left by parents or cast to the side and you, you think, I wasn't even supposed to be here and, and my life doesn't have purpose and, and I'm an accident. That is not true. That is a lie from the pit of hell because everybody else might not have wanted you. And you might have looked at your life to this point and think that it was a bunch of struggle and it's not worth anything. But God created you on purpose 
for a purpose. And He's not here to cast you aside. But He's getting ready to open the door and say, come meet me. Oh, I want to show you my glory. I want to introduce myself to you. And so if you'll be willing to reach out and say, Jesus, I want to meet you. Oh God, I'm broken and I'm hurting. Oh, you were created on purpose. But then Psalms 19 moves into verse 12. Or or into verse 7. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect or complete. It makes you complete, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You see, when you are a wise person, (laughs) the religious leaders knew all about the book. The wise men said, hey, I see that a Savior is being born. But eventually, how did they get to Bethlehem? Because they had to get into the Word. And the Word was given and it said, hey, it's in Bethlehem. The religious leaders knew the Word, but they didn't travel. They were caught up in Herod's court. But the wise men, when they said, okay, I've heard a word, Sister Nancy, they're like, I was told to go to Bethlehem. Oh, oh, I was told one day I needed to be baptized, and so I was baptized. I was told I needed to repent at an altar, so I said, you know what, I'm going to God. And, And since that time, there's been times where the word of God just poked me and said, hey, you need to repent. And I was, once I saw it, I said, I need to get a hold of God. They responded to the word. You have to transition from just having an encounter with God to saying, let me know what I need to know about you. And then you go down through Psalms chapter 19. Verse 10 says, more to be desired are they than gold. This is the word, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. But then it says, moreover by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them is great reward. And then the servant says in verse 13, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. I see this transition just a little bit with these wise men. I see them go from saying, hey, I see there's a God out there and something's happening to they get an encounter with direction from the word to they fall down and they worship the Savior. They made it personal. And this is just a microcosm, just looking into a little window, an example of, of their journey. But that's what you need to do. You need to step today from saying, yes, I know that there's a God. To saying, okay, let me get into this word. Let me make it personal. At some point in time, you have to grow up. We teach our kids. We work with them. We give them chores. We, we, We show them how to do things. And the first time they learn, you know, we're thrilled by our children. We love them because... They are. Because they exist, we love them. They don't have to do anything else to get me to love them. When they can understand that, you know, that's a, that's a, when they realize they're loved and they're my child, not because of what they do, but because of who they are. And that's the way it is with God. He loves you already. 
But I begin to teach those kids, and I show them a task, and they do it. And I see them respond, and I'm like, ah, that's great, that's great. You know, it, it's those progressive things that began when they, they start first said dada and mama, and we, we war over who's they going to say first, even though they're probably going to say mama. Maybe no, they'll say dada first. It's easier, right? Um, and, and we go from that to they took their first step, and they kind of do this, and they fall. And you're like, yes, they crawled, and, and you're excited. But I'm telling you right now, Avery's not in here, but I do not cheer every time she walks today. I'm like, yes, she walked. She would be very embarrassed. Um, why? Because she's growing. The kids are growing up. When you teach them another task, you get excited and you see them do it. And then you expect that. And, and they move on and they grow. And, and God's excited about you. But you can't stay where you're at. Because at some point, just like with your kids, you're like, you've been taught. And, and you've got to move on. And when they become adults, you'll hear those hard conversations from people who are like, the kid is still living in the basement. Okay, okay, all right, all right. Well, yeah, we're helping them get on their feet. But then you hear one day, I told the kid they need to get a job. I am not referencing any stories, so if anybody's in that spot, I'm turning my face. There's, I know of no stories today, okay? All right? But you begin to hear it because they're like, the child's 40 years old, or they're 50 years old, and, and I needed them to go ahead and be a responsible adult. And that's what God is saying to you is, I've given you my word. I've given you teachers and preachers. You need to get it. Put it in your heart. Grow and change. And, and you say, well, Sally over here is not doing it. You're not Sally. You're you. And God has ministered to you. And they maybe have the word. Or maybe they don't. Let God work with them. You just respond to God. Follow the word. Hear it. You, know, you don't just see the signs and stop there, but embrace it, obey it, make it personal. Make it personal. You've got to apply it. And so these wise men, they came and they offered of themselves and they worshiped. They worshiped. We've got to get this word and we've got to embrace it. Why? Because it brings us back around. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. You see, as we unfolded the Christmas story, what we've seen here is that there was a people in darkness who saw a great light. And you know, I look at my world full of struggle and full of mess and chaos, and sometimes you're wondering, how am I even going to buy a Christmas present? And how am I going to go through this whole, whole season? And how am I going to pay the bills and this? But then you get into some of those joy moments. But there's no greater joy than encountering Jesus Christ. And, and when those, those wise men, when they made that journey and they encountered Jesus, you know what we now have on the scene? We have the Christmas story. We have that God came to earth to save. We, we have that we now have hope has shined into the world. And it's beginning to look just a little more like not the struggle, but the presence. Not just the adversity, but the hope. Not just, uh, I see hope, but the deliverance. It's beginning to look a lot more like Christmas. Oh, I might have been in Puerto Rico where there's not snow on the ground, but I can still find Jesus there. And when I had a bad day, I can say, Jesus, I need your help. And He shines into the moment. In this season where we celebrate giving and we celebrate the birth of our Savior and, and Jesus Christ, our hope and salvation, He reaches in and we too see that star. We see that light and that hope. 
and things begin to look just a little bit brighter. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. I want to encourage somebody today because I opened up and I laid out for you the, what we see for the season and then the realities of what it feels like in our world. We walked through the time and the struggle of Jesus' time and how He showed up on the scene and how He brought hope. We talked about how He brought fulfillment of Scripture. But not just fulfillment of Scripture, but fulfillment of hope. We saw the wise men and how they responded to what they heard. And as a result, their hope was fulfilled. But now I want to bring it back to you. And I want to remind you that it's not just Scripture. It's not just words on a page. It's not just a time a season where there was a baby born in a manger. But I don't care where you're at in life today. I don't care how low it is. When I say I don't care, it doesn't mean I don't care. It means that you can be at the worst place possible. And I know a God who is right there today. And you're saying, what good am I? And if we could stand to our feet. What good am I? What is there for me? At one point I thought that, that God had a calling on my life and I thought it was going to go someplace. You know, I thought that too. I thought I had my world dreamed out. I thought I knew where I was going to minister. I thought, how it was, I thought I knew how it was going to go. And you know, not one time did I see myself standing on this pulpit today, on this platform. I didn't know I was going to preach from here. And my life, boom! And I, when I came to the Church of Omaha and I sat right back over here, I was just glad to be in church. I was like, man, God, can I just, I, I just want to say I love you. And I would look at myself and think, well, why would God bless me? And why would he want to touch me? And why would he forgive me another time? And the devil, the adversary, he's really good at that. He's like, yeah, yeah, he doesn't want to touch you. <laughs> but I was determined in my mind that I still had a voice. And even if, the, if I listened to the lies of the enemy that would say God doesn't want your worship and he's done with you, I was like, I'm still not done with God. Because I saw a star. I saw the Word. I encountered Jesus. I had my manger scene moment. I had my Calvary moment. I found Him to be true and real. And I'm coming back to Jesus. And I'm going to worship Him. And I'm going to push through the mess and through the garbage. And I maybe don't have it all together and all right, but, but I need Him. And God took His Word and His promises and He didn't make them just words that I heard, but He fulfilled them in my life. And not only that, He said, I still have ministry in you, Lucas. And I still have a purpose for you. And I stand here today because of the grace of God. Because of a God that fulfills the Word. It's not just prophetic things that go out. But it's God that says, I'm going to make it happen. I've got purpose in your life and I'm not going to stop until I made it happen 100%. It's not just going to be a form and fashion of, of somebody else kind of making it over here, but when I make you a commitment, I'm going to follow through. Brother Keith, 
When God gives you a word, He means for it to happen all the way. Complete 100%. And so, if we could close our eyes here, and if we could just talk to Jesus for a moment, because God wants to bring fulfillment to you. And so I would ask you today, are you just going to hear the Word? Or are you going to respond and make personal commitment? Lord Jesus, we reach out to You today. Lord, there's people here, God, that need You to be fulfillment in their life. They've been seeking, and they've been searching, and they've been wondering, and they've been hurting. Oh God, and they need Your fulfillment. They need You to make them complete. They need You to bring everything together. Oh God, not just a, a word preached across the pulpit or a Scripture read or a great story about Christmas, but You're the God that brings completion and fulfillment. So I ask You to heal the heart. I ask You to restore the marriage. I ask You to put back together the family. I ask You to revive the dream. Oh God, and to fulfill that calling of ministry and of work and relationship that You have put in these people's lives. Heal the broken hearted God. Bring salvation. Set the captive free. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God, we commit ourselves to You and we give You our lives this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. We'll see you back here in 10 minutes, and let's have the kids' Christmas celebration.